Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Monergy Life with Robert Fisher. Of course, I'm pleased to have John Gallo on the show again for the third in a series of three. And who knows, we might even extend the series beyond the third ser- the third episode tonight. Well, while I was thinking about the heading for tonight's episode, I thought to myself, let's be audacious here. And so the title of the third episode, Moving Towards an Ideal Consciousness. And how audacious can you get? <laughs> I mean, in terms of looking for the best possible way to view the world, view your interactions with the world, and uh, and everything else in between. Uh, well, well, folks, we're going to accomplish that in the next 58 minutes. No, only kidding. We're certainly going to try anyway. And, you know, as John and I have mentioned in the two prior episodes and in the series that we did last year, everything is a process. And Everybody is on their own trajectory, so you shouldn't feel frustrated if certain uh, things take a little bit longer to you. And there's John calling, and now I'm going to bring him on the air. John, welcome to Monergy Life. Hey, Robert, how are you? I'm doing great. It's kind of a cold, rainy evening in New York City where I'm doing the show from tonight. But other than that, things are great. How are you, John? I am wonderful, and in Miami, it is uh, cloudy and warm. That sounds very appealing. Uh, I, was telling <laughs> our li- <laughs> I was telling our listeners before you called in, um, I don't know if you even know the title of today's episode, and I was thinking about what should we call it. Uh, it's a third in a series of three, perhaps more. So as I mentioned to the audience, uh, I was being a little audacious tonight, and I titled the episode, Moving Toward an Ideal Consciousness. And how audacious can you get, John, right? Yes. And it's all a a moving. It's it's all a process of uh, coming to the understanding, the knowing of the interaction of your mind, the outer world, and your inner being. And it's an interplay. It's a, something that the, you cannot put your finger on it. You cannot, uh, uh, like, prove it, but you can sense it. You can uh, come to the point of understanding how everything works within your own uh, being, if you will. Well, you know, I disagree with you in a very small point, but perhaps no disagreement as I explain this point. In a way, you can prove it, and the proof is in the experience. And that experience is something that each individual has to undertake for themselves. You and I can't well, talk it, about it. it. Exactly. Uh, it, you, I can only prove it to myself, and you can only exactly. prove it to yourself. Exactly. Okay. But people can prove but it to I themselves. Prove it. I cannot prove it for anybody else. They have to experience it. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's not like like a a formula, a mathematical formula. You can say one plus one is two, and you can prove that. No, it's it's up to the individual to notice it and prove it to themselves. That's what I'm referring to. 
Right, I thought so. And I just wanted to clarify that for the audience, that there is proof for all these things we're talking about, but the proof is in the personal experience as you do it. And um, on that note, um, just the idea of an ideal consciousness in the world in which we're living in can be a little daunting just to even suggest that it exists and to suggest that people can attain it. And I know that, but John, what are your thoughts on the prospects of of attaining an ideal consciousness? Well, to me, an ideal consciousness is that no matter what outer situation arises, I now consciously know that it is transient. So having that knowledge and that knowing, uh, nothing that can arise, no situation can take away my peace or my joy. That's what I would call the ideal consciousness. That knowing, that inner knowing that this too shall pass, that this has no permanence, no matter what it is. I agree with you in theory. And let's try and dissect that a little bit more for the audience, because, you know, we live in a world in which people are encouraged to hang on and attach to just about everything and everyone. And in effect, I think that your suggestion is rooted in an almost total detachment from the events flowing around you. And you get to that point by observing the events. Am I correct about that? Uh, yes. Not so, only that, uh, the detachment of it, but knowing that there is a spaciousness, okay, between one's uh, higher spiritual <clears throat> essence and the manifestation that's going on in the third dimensional reality. Right. Let's talk a little bit more about that spaciousness because I think that's an integral part of anyone's plan for an ideal consciousness. Why is this spaciousness so critical and important towards achieving that level of awareness? Because when you come to know that you are not your thinking, you are not the experience, you are not your body, you are that which can observe, if you will, can experience it, but you are not that. So knowing that, coming to that point of understanding, uh, the, the experience or the, there is a space between what is outside of you and you. But how does one come to the realization that that space even exists? What are some steps that you could suggest to our audience to to achieve that understanding? Meditation, okay. Okay, coming to know. It's like if you were to close your eyes and you were to lift your right hand, okay, you don't 
cannot see your right hand, but you can know that that is there. You can close your eyes and be at the store, let's say, or any place else, and you can close your eyes and you can go back into your home and you can walk it and you can see exactly everything where it is, but without being there. That's the spaciousness that I'm talking about. That awareness of being. And that awareness exists in every situation in life. Yes. But it, that, that, that space that you're talking about is something that you have to actually create with your own mind when you're in when you're being attacked or when you're in some very um, dicey situations in your daily routine, you have to sort of pull well, yourself you, back from them. You have to sort of like be aware. Uh, it's getting to the point of being aware of a, uh, and this, look, it comes through with time. It comes with practice. It's like, again, in the, in the previous uh, uh, talks that we've had, is becoming the watcher of your thoughts. Now, that who is able to watch your thinking is the, that spaciousness that I'm talking about within you, that arise, that energy, that self-aware energy that we really truly are, that self-aware energy that is going to be that which walks out of this body but will continue to be, because, in essence, we don't need a body to be. We need the body to have a third-dimensional experience, but we are not the body, and we don't need the body. Right, but while we're in the body, it seems to be very challenging for us human beings to get that sense of space, to have that spaciousness. And I think that's where the challenge lies for many of us, and part of the part of the challenge is the the extent of the conditioning that many people are subject to, and the reinforcement of that conditioning, which keeps people sort of down. It keeps them uh, in a subservient position, and it doesn't allow them to realize this this sense of spaciousness and this freedom, because with that spaciousness comes real freedom. Yes, uh, not only with that spaciousness, but when one comes to the realization that we are not this outer experience, we are not these thoughts that comes through the mind, we are not all, any of that. So once you come to allow that, knowing that inner knowing that we are not that outer world, we can then step back and observe it, and then it loses its power over us. Right. And, you know, here again, this, I, I, I just, when you said that, John, what came into my mind was that in order to, um, in order to have this, this ideal consciousness that we're trying to, um, talk about in 60 minutes today, which I think is kind of funny in a way, but um, nevertheless, I, I hope we can touch on some important elements of it. 
it's it really requires um a a tremendous desire on the part of the individual to do this in the first place and beyond just the desire i think it requires a great deal of strength and even courage to throw off the conditioning that your whole life you thought was correct absolutely and it 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 takes uh effort uh it takes willpower it takes focus but the most important and i always come back to this is we are that we all are these spiritual beings we all have this ability to do what other beings have done in the uh, you know that are uh in, throughout life we have the power to do everything but it is not with the intellect it is not with the physical power it has nothing to do of this third dimensional existence it has to do with that underlying essence that is sustains maintains the whole universe which we are one with the only thing is that we never very few people teach this very few people want this because everybody is mesmerized by the third dimensional outer exterior uh, uh happenings right and you this mentioned... is, has to do with inner no it's all about going within like any other form of consciousness and any other form of change um you know you mentioned just a minute or two ago the idea of oneness and you know i think this is also in te- integral to an ideal consciousness to come to the realization that apart from the illusion of separation, my body from yours and everyone else's on the planet, underneath it all, it's really one spirit that has manifested in six billion different human beings. And I think until you come to the realization that that's the case, it's very hard to implement anything that's going to give you the kind of freedom that we're pointing towards tonight. Yes, it's uh, and uh, and that's only you just mentioned part of the uh, earth, okay? When you take that and then you extend it out throughout the whole universe, then you have a, a lot bigger vastness of what everything that is, and 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 this is the beauty of how expansion the what we can have in consciousness. And when you do meditation, that is the beginning, which is meditation is nothing more than releasing, getting from all of your physical senses and starting to get into your spiritual senses, which are part of you. The, we all have spiritual senses, the same as we have physical senses, but we have not been trained we don't practice in using them. And that is where one can begin is, that's why meditation is, you know, in the, in the Eastern philosophies in uh, yoga, yoga is the, the uh, blending or the un- unity of your physical self with your spiritual self, but it's still your own self. 
Right. You know, it's uh, it's also interesting. Um, we spoke very briefly last week um, about other dimensions besides the third dimension. And we just, I think, threw out as a teaser, in, in a sense, uh, talking about the fourth and the fifth dimension. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit more of that today since we are talking about achieving an ideal consciousness. And how would you describe a transition into the fourth dimension? What are some of the elements that uh, that a human being possesses when they're in the fourth dimension? Well, I think that one of the uh, steps is when the individual comes to the, you know, and, and we've talked in length about this, uh, you and I, about uh, how, where can you tell where the individual is and uh, in consciousness, and one of the the pointers that I would say, or flagposts, if you will, of that state is when the individual comes to the uh, beginning to display or use or be in a state of unconditional love to everything and anything, no matter what is happening. If you have somebody that did, just did something, said something uh, mean to you, instead of reacting from the third dimensional uh, uh, human ego of trying to, uh, uh, you know, say something nasty back, is like the, the point of forgiveness and knowing, throwing a, or, uh, uh, trying to project unconditional love to that person because you're not in the physical, you're not seeing the physical person, you're looking at the spiritual being that is one with you and everything else. So I think it's when you come to start to understand the oneness of this universe, the oneness of everybody and not the separation of the physicality of it that we are using in the body and the different person. You know, all that sounds great, and I completely embrace that description of the fourth dimension of human consciousness. But isn't it asking a lot of people to respond with unconditional love to everything they encounter in their daily life? Well, that's, a, a, again, uh, once you come to this other dimensional of awareness, uh, then you uh, come to understand that everything is one. So this is other person is not doing it to you. He basically is doing it to himself because you and, and the other person are one. <clears throat> right. You know, one thing that just flashed through my mind when you said that, and this might be very helpful to our listeners, and by the way, I was just playing devil's advocate with you a moment ago when I asked you that, uh, because I do think that it is possible to be in the fourth dimension and approach everything with unconditional love. But I, I would imagine that a lot of people are skeptical about that, especially if they're here, hearing it for the first time tonight. But I think that <coughs> excuse me, that one thing that might help our listeners to understand this concept is the idea of a mirror. And 
if everything is mirrored back to you, it kind of makes sense to not be mean or nasty or put anyone else down because it will just come back to you. And, John, what are your thoughts on the, on the mirror concept, that everything that actually happens to you is a mirror of your own thoughts, a mirror of your projections? And, yeah, and, and let me go a little bit further. Uh, the outer world is a reflection of your inner beliefs and, and, and conversations and state of consciousness. So, uh, I mean, I can tell you that today my life is uh, more and more of joy and more and more of happiness and more and more of beautiful, good things. Why? Because that is where I live. I live in this oneness. I live in this unconditional love, and I live in that. So the universal mirror, if you will, is reflecting that which my state that I live in within. The outer world is nothing more than a reflection of your inner state. And here again, let's let's explore this very, very important point a little bit more because here again, it's it's contrary to what most people believe because most people think that the events that happen around them are totally random and that they're just in a constant state of reacting to events. What you're suggesting, and by the way, I agree with this too, is that all the events in everyone's life, yours and mine included, are created by our own thoughts. It's almost as if it's a mental projection that the external reality that we think is so random is really a mental projection of our own thoughts. Now, if that's the case, it places a great deal of importance on us to really think about what are our thoughts, what's going on in our head, what's circling around in our mind all the time, because this is going to be creating our external reality. Absolutely. Uh, I'll go further and say, if you one fears something, okay, by just having that mental, what I would say, a thought form of that fear, you are pulsing that out to the universe, and the universe is saying, wow, look at what he wants to experience. So let, let, us, cre- let, let us mirror that back to him or her, okay, because this is what they want. And, you know, in the uh, Kabbalic teaching, they have a teaching where they say, Tikkun, which is you will continue to see your life's lessons until you come to uh, transcend it. And how do you transcend it? When you know that nothing of this outer world really has any power or can do anything to your true essence, which is a spiritual infinite being. Again, these are thoughts that I totally agree with, but for some of our listeners, they may seem a little radical and and hard to implement, at least right away. But, you know, when you... When you mention that about the Kabbalah, uh, it, it makes perfect sense. But why why isn't this part of mainstream teaching? Why aren't people taught this from a very early age that they're the ones responsible for their reality, that they created by their thoughts? Why has this been hidden from people? Well, uh, 
I, I have my own personal opinion regarding that. Because if you were to give people the key to their own destiny, why would you need an organization to help them get there? Well, but aren't organizations supposed to help the people that are members? Well, that, but that, that's the whole thing. They need members in order to be an organization in order to be an entity, in order to have a grouping. What I am saying is, what I, what I teach is freedom. Like with the, all of the people that I teach and I work with, I don't need, I'm not looking for followers. I'm not looking for an organization to create a new religion or any of that. I am looking to give what I have so that the next person can get what I have and then give it to the other person, which is true freedom. You know, another thing that flashes through my mind when you say that, and here again, I have to say, I check in the same box, I agree with you, that it almost seems as though there is a matrix imposed on most human beings consisting of school conditioning, religious organizations, that is designed to keep people sort of under their thumb, under a certain degree of control, it doesn't really cultivate true freedom for people, even though some of these organizations may profess to be uh, doing that. Uh, either it's a vast cons conspiracy or people are just so unconscious and they're just doing exactly what they were taught, uh, or maybe a combination of the two. Uh, I think I, that more than anything is the unconsciousness of it, and then you have the human con uh, uh, a part of the ego of uh, worrying about what they uh, can't have or won't have and uh, needing to do something for it. Right. So uh, I tend to agree with you there, too, that, that the reasons for this are mostly just unconscious behavior. And in this yeah. episode where we're, we're attempting, and John, isn't this amazing? In 60 minutes, we're attempting to define or point people towards an ideal consciousness. I think we deserve some credit for even trying to do that, of course. <laughs> no, we could probably talk forever about it, right? Yeah, but but the basic, really, the ideal consciousness is the consciousness that the individual can have where he can be in this third dimensional experience and not be buffeted by what's going on. Right. Almost and like be in a state of joy, of bliss, what the Buddhists would, you know, the Buddhists would play bliss you know, be in a state of bliss. And that can be done, and that can be achieved by every single person on this universe. Right. It can be achieved. Now, how many people do you think, uh, out of six billion, actually come close to achieving that? I'm not even want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to go there. 
I know. I, that was, that was a little, the end, a little unfair the, to ask you at, that. And at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter, okay? <laughs> because at the end of the day, everybody is at the perfect situation for them. That's you see, there true. is no right. There is no wrong. There is just beingness. And if everybody would come to this, allow creation to be just the way it is and say yes to it, then nothing can go wrong. It right. is only when you say no to what is that things go wrong. Right. It is only when you have predetermined uh, art forms of what should be that things go wrong. Let's talk about this notion of perfection. Um, not just because you mentioned it in your description, but because, you know, it's something I've been talking a lot about with friends and family. Um, you know, people will will ask me, well, how how is your trip to so-and-so? What did you think of so-and-so? And my answer lately has been, it's perfect. And some people kind of can't understand what I really mean by that. And I, let me let me just share with you, John, in the audience, what I mean by the perfection of it all. It doesn't mean that looking at a situation objectively, you can't imagine it being better for that person or individual or more advantageous to them. It's just that where they are at that moment, what they're doing at that moment is exactly perfect for what they need to learn to move on to the next step. That's the perfection I think we're both talking about. Exactly. And it doesn't matter if it's a homeless person lying on the street in downtown Miami. It doesn't matter if it's the person living in a mansion in uh, Tahiti Beach in, in Coral Gables. Uh, it, the experience each individual is having is perfect for them because it's only an experience for that spiritual being that is having, which is a very transient thing in the timeline called eternity. When you take any of these moments and you compare it to eternity, okay, it's meaningless. And that's you- what I'm talking about. Can you elaborate a little further on that? What do you mean when you compare any of these moments to eternity? It's meaningless. Somebody might come back to you and say, well, this is really important for me, whether or not I get this job or this person loves me. That's that's a, a, a thought form that you have just said to yourself, this is important. But it really is not important. You can still be a spiritual being with that job or without that job. It's only an experience, transient experience. Okay, and so it could be that that homeless person is now experiencing that part of limitation where in another uh, lifetime he probably may have been a king or a queen of some place where he had the ability to everything that he needed. That's what I'm talking about. So there's no reason to revere or pity anyone? No, not at all. Everybody is having the perfect experience that they came down to in this 
when they took this body at this time. So in this ideal consciousness, there is no room for victimhood whatsoever of any kind. Or perpetrator either. It's all about allowing creation to be just the way it is and looking at it with unconditional love and acceptance of what is, without judgment or labeling. There is no right. There is no wrong. The person living in that mansion is not wrong. Neither is that uh, homeless person uh, sleeping on the sidewalk. Right. They're both right for themselves. Right. And neither one of them is having a superior experience. For each of them, it is the superior. It is the experience they chose, both of them. And the one that they needed to learn, because with each one of those uh, experiences, the homeless, and the person living in the mansion, they have a whole set of uh, uh, experiences that they need to transcend and learn to overcome and not allow the peace to take up. Let's say that the guy in the mansion uh, uh, just lost $100 million in the stock market because of an investment. Do you think that that person in that mansion is going to have a nice day? It all depends on the state of consciousness. Right. Whereas maybe that homeless person, okay, had somebody give him a few bucks or a meal, and he is completely fulfilled for that day. So Hmm. it doesn't matter who and what it is. It all depends on that learning experience. So you can be a rich, multi-rich billionaire living in a mansion and have a miserable life. And you can be a homeless person and having a beautiful life because it all depends on how you look at the outer world. And if you take most lifespans, what's the average lifespan? 90 years old, 80-something years old yeah, today? What is right. that? Well, how, how, how is that? How important is that? It's nothing. It's insignificant. Well, let's let's since you raised the um, the time issue, let's talk about uh, time itself. You know, there are many people who are just uh, so busy today with any number of things. I call it the busy defense. Now, and they're always always short of time. But how do you look at time in terms of? Can you ever run out of it? Do you ever feel that there's not enough time? What's your position on that? Well, time is a a third-dimensional concept. Uh, If one were to be conscious, okay, now of our true uh, being, time is, how can I uh, explain it? Time and space are something that are really third-dimensional because as a human, we are programmed to adhere to a time schedule because of the earth movements, the, the day, the night, all of these things. But none of these things 
in your spiritual sense really are exist because you can look from your spiritual body into a a point in time and you can step into that and have that experience in the third dimensional reality someplace in this universe but you are have access and you're looking to the whole the oneness of the universe so time is something of the same thing as the uh the vehicle the body it has limitations of uh you know the feel the looking the hearing you know the, the uh you know different frequencies uh the same thing as we are not aware that their existence is an infinite moment of now and if you can stay in this infinite moment of now present to what is happening now life is very wonderful because you're not allowing your mind to go into a past time and bring it and have hurt or you have a your mind go into a future time that doesn't exist yet and you worry about something so in a sense would you say that time is a human, humanly imposed invention well, it, I think it's a, it's one of the characteristics of the third dimensional reality in order to experience it. <clears throat> the need to quantify the time, you mean? The yes, because everything is relative here. Everything is, you know, we have the days, the nights, you know, the uh, uh, all of that. It's all third dimensional material you know let's talk for a few moments about something else you touched on uh briefly <clears throat> which is the you know the experience of the homeless man juxtaposed against the experience of the guy living in the mansion now not only are these these experiences exactly perfect for that individual and he chose them on a certain level but what do you think the chances are for that individual to switch the experience when they're here? In other words, for the homeless guy to wake up one day and say, okay, I've had enough of this. I'd like to be the guy living in the mansion. Is that, is that unrealistic to expect, or is this something that can happen at any moment for all of us, that we could, we could it, shift it, what we want to create? It, you can you can, we all have the power in a blink of an eye to change our state of consciousness. But you have to be ready to let go. In other words, to let go of all pre-existing thoughts, belief systems, and change them in a blink of an eye. And that's pretty hard to do with the programming that has gone on into the uh, intellect and into the DNA and the wiring of that individual. So, and the other thing that plays out very, uh, which is very important, everyone selects the needed experiences before they take the body. So that homeless person wanted and decided to have that experience. So why change it in the middle of the game? Okay, 
are such a drastic to go from the homeless to the mansion kind of a thing. It can happen, and it has happened. It's not like it hasn't happened, and you can do that. But it, it, it all depends on why the being, the spiritual being, decided to take a body at this time and what were the experiences and the learning uh, that they wanted to learn? So it's almost a balancing act between the reasons that that person is having the experience in the first place and whether or not if they change those experiences in a radical way, it would somehow alter the whole reason that they're here. Exactly. Exactly. So there is a, it's all, we all have free will, okay? We have the free will of choice. We can choose. Every individual has the ability to choose what they're going to believe in. And then those beliefs becomes like the program, the operating system for the vehicle, okay? For the body, for the mind, the conscious, and the subconscious. And so each individual has the power and the ability to change the belief systems. And it's almost like getting uh, uh, Windows uh, 9 and then throwing it out and, and then putting Windows 10, the same thing. Right. You take a belief system and you replace it with a new belief system. <clears throat> and then the new belief system becomes the subconscious operating system of that individual of that being in this body well that's very encouraging because you know since we're talking about people attaining the ideal consciousness it, it would be a little unfair for us to suggest that everyone is pigeonholed in an experience that they're not happy with because the whole idea here is to go to a higher level and to create what you really want in your life. So, right. So it's really perhaps in in the gray area as to how much of that one could do depending on how easy or difficult it is for someone to throw off prior conditioning, prior belief systems and substitute a consciousness that's going to get them to another place. And that's where it gets really interesting, I would imagine. Um, and I think that so many people, John, are in that boat today, just judging by, uh, you know, some of the emotions that are running through our society today. There seems to be a lot of anger and disappointment with the external reality that people are confronting with. Yeah, because most people are uh, labeling what's going outside as good or bad or right or wrong. And the key to this consciousness that uh, we've been talking about is to uh, allow creation to be just the way it is because it's perfect. There's no human here that has anything to do with the earth, uh, the gravity, the rotation uh, that the earth has around the sun, the moon, and all of that. Nobody here did any of that. And it's functioning. Nobody here consciously 
makes the body work. The digestion, the breathing, it's all being done and we are not part of the mechanics of that. We're not consciously working that. And that's how perfect it all is. Because if it's the individual had to take part of that, it would take so much of their time that they won't be able to have the life experiences that they came here to take a body for. Right. I think that that, um, that example almost proves the perfection in the universe. And I once read in some Buddhist book a phrase that is analogous to that, which is, uh, let Buddha take care of the tracks, meaning the railroad tracks. When you're riding on a train, you don't think about su- the, the tracks supporting you. There's another force that's taking care of it that allows your body just to function automatically. And that almost proves that there is a perfection in the universe. But I think the trouble for humans arises when they try to interfere in that perfection, when they try and control the underlying mechanisms of things. That's when there's a lot of problems. And the key is to letting go and allowing creation to be and only focus on what we can change. And those are our inner thoughts, our inner conversations, and our reaction to the external world. Those are the things that we really do have power. And if the individual were to focus on those things that we really can change, life for that individual will improve in quantum leaps. And now you've just suggested another thing that we touched upon last week, which is the fifth dimension. Uh, We briefly mentioned it along with the fourth dimension. So I imagine that the way you just described life is life in the fifth dimension. Could you give our audience a little bit of information on uh, what what that life would be like? What are some of the characteristics of life in the fifth dimension? A life of total joy, a life of total peace, and a a life what you would call, you know, in Buddhism, of bliss, being in a, a perpetual state of bliss. And the only way that one can get there is to the point of unconditional love and allowing creation to be just the way it is, and the acceptance that it is perfect. And if there's something to be changed, not to try to do change anything of the outer world, but change it in your inner space, your inner mind, your inner emotions, and your inner conversations and thoughts. Because once you do that work internally... If the exterior world is a reflection of your thoughts, then that's how the external world should be changed, by your internal change, rather than trying to it, lash out at the external world or anyone that uh, that's in it. And, that's, uh, and then once you do that internally, 
you will slowly see the external match it. Is there anything more awe-inspiring or enjoyable than actually seeing that process unfold, John? To me, no. And there are some rough spots in the process because I think that the hardest thing is to let go of the conditions and the beliefs of who and what I am. So who are you then, John? I am a spiritual being having a human experience in a vehicle called the body. I am not my thinking. I am not my emotions. I am not my body. Those are my tools to experience this third dimensional reality. And I am the master. Well, that's quite a um that's quite an interesting and uh you know, very very um impressive way of looking at the human experience and for all our listeners today and for those who might listen to the show as it's archived, uh, it's, uh, I would hope that none of these things seem too daunting to anybody because, you know, it's just like anything in life. It's a process. And, you know, to get to the point that we're talking about, an ideal consciousness takes as long a time or as little a time as is appropriate to the individual. But it all starts by understanding the power of your own mind, your own thoughts, your own belief system in creating reality. And also this notion of unconditional love. You know, John and I have spoken about this on many occasions. And, you know, we sometimes have laughed about um, whether or not we find that in our daily routine with people, how many people do you know that actually practice unconditional love? And, you know, at first when I thought about that, I, you know, I would like to believe there's a lot of people out there that can do that. But it seems to be really hard for human beings to, to actually apply unconditional love to everyone and anyone that they meet in every situation. Uh, but it is but essential. when you do the switch, let me interject this, but when you because most people are looking at themselves as a human being, separate from everything else. But when you come to the uh, uh, understanding that you everyone is a spiritual being and everybody else is a spiritual being, uh, and everybody is connected, and quantum physics and quantum mechanics has proven that the universe is one, that there is no two. Uh, then that unconditional love can be more easily expressed and practiced. And uh, just to make a further connection, (coughs) excuse me, that's because when you project unconditional love on another person, because of the mirror effect of everything, it comes right back to you. It's like you're treating yourself with unconditional love. Exactly. 
that's why when somebody lashes out at you and you don't retaliate by lashing back, you have just diffused and you have just created a very positive uh, energy that goes out throughout the whole universe. Right. And by the way, I don't think John is suggesting, and I certainly wouldn't suggest, that if somebody is putting you in danger physically that you need to just acquiesce to that. And we're not talking about that. We're not talking about a situation in which action is called for to redress an obvious imbalance in your immediate surroundings. Right, John? We're not talking about that. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think or it's important to qualify see, that. Or if you see some something happening that somebody else's uh, physical uh, body is in danger, you have the responsibility to act. That's a different, completely different right. thing. Right, right, okay? exactly. Uh, yeah. But we're talking about more of the daily going on, full co-workers, uh, you know, it could be the banker that you call or the insurance company or whatever it might be. More, or it could be a sibling, it could be a a, a wife, a husband, a brother, a sister, you name it. Those are the kinds of the relationships that I'm talking about. Right. And when you don't react in that pre-programmed way by lashing back out at the person who's lashing out at you in those situations, you have taken some really important steps in changing your universe. That's how you create peace in your world. If anybody wanted to know how, this is how you do it. And not only in that world, but you create... Because it need, you need two people to argue. If one person is arguing and the other one is not going back at it, the one of the persons will finally get tired of arguing by himself. You need two to argue. Right. And that's the premise of this. Right, right. But it's all about allowing taking... the other. It's allowing the other person to think whatever they want to think, to believe whatever they want to believe, and allowing them to be right in their belief, in their thinking. But right. that doesn't mean that I have to accept it, but I allow it. I don't try to uh, dump my belief systems on anyone because whatever anybody believes, that's perfect for them, but it's not for me. I have my own set of beliefs, and I have that right, that free will that I am uh, expressing. Right. And that links in with another element of an ideal consciousness, which is absolute respect for everybody else, which gets mirrored back to you as respect for yourself. Exactly. Well, I know we've touched on some... Uh, really interesting elements in, in the last uh, 60 minutes, which, believe it or not, John, are almost up. And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is uh, the thing about time. It's really relative to where you are in consciousness. Right. And uh, I would encourage our listeners to experiment with some of the ideas we've talked about, if it feels right, if it resonates with you, try it out. 
see if what we're talking about to create this ideal consciousness is a bunch of hot air or it actually could be your reality by your own experiences. And the only way anybody is going to make it their reality is by experiencing it, not by hearing John and I speak about it. Exactly. You, we, the only thing that we're doing is pointing to a state that, that, you know, we have. But it is up to the individual to walk that path, to find, you know, the signposts. This, these words are only signposts, if you will. They're pointers. But it is up to the individual to walk uh, to the destination. And at the end of the day, really, there is no destination. Because once you reach a certain state of consciousness you will immediately see that there is more. There's another one. And then when you reach that other level, there is another level, and it's infinite. That's both, uh, 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 what's the word I'm searching for? It's, uh, it's heartwarming, and it's also a little scary to think that there are unlimited levels of consciousness that we could achieve. But that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it, that there is so much more about our true uh, essence that we haven't even uh, began, begun to tap into. There is a whole spiritual realm that exists right here, right now, but we're oblivious to it because of our state of consciousness. We don't believe that it exists. Right. So if you don't believe something exists, it doesn't. That's, That's how right. easy it is. That's how powerful we are. <clears throat> if you say you can't, you won't. If you say you can, you shall. Right. Before this show is over, I'd like to share with you, John, and our listeners, uh, the name of a documentary I saw last night on Netflix called The Tiger and the Monk about a Buddhist monastery in Thailand that started to take in um, tiger, baby tigers and ended up with a whole, uh, I think about 15 or 20 of them along with other animals. It's amazing how these tigers are free to roam around the monastery, how they've never hurt anybody in 15 years. And the relationship between the cubs and the, and the Buddhist monks at breakfast, there's a shot I won't ever forget, how they're just kind of playing while the Buddhist monks are eating and they're free. And it's just unbelievable how all these different animals, besides the tigers, coexist coexist on a monastery when in the wild they would be killing each other. And it all has to do with the energy that these Buddhist monks have created in the monastery. It's just unbelievable. And not only the energy, the, uh, un- the knowing of the oneness, okay, that these people, the, the monks know that the, the tigers and they are one. That right. there's not two. And they're not afraid of them, which is the key. Exactly. So one, once again, the name of that show is The Tiger and the Monk. It's a 50-minute documentary. I recommend it to all our listeners. John, we have less than a minute left. And once again, I have to thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope our listeners enjoyed it as much as I have. And 
it always causes me to think about so many things when I speak with you on or off the air. Uh, John, do you have any last-minute thoughts for our listeners in like 30 seconds that are left? Everybody is powerful spiritual being, and it is up to the individual to learn that within themselves and to express that. Well, that's a beautiful thought. And on on that note, John, I want to thank you again for being a guest on Monogy Life. To all our listeners, have a beautiful evening. Um, and um, what could I say? Enjoy the experience that lies ahead of you. That's true for John, I, and all our listeners. And raise your consciousness. Make it as ideal as you can in this lifetime. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank Good you, night. Robert. My pleasure. Good night, everybody.